It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Chad Jenkins, CEO and founder of SeedSpark. SeedSpark was launched almost 20 years ago to provide a business-centric approach to technology with a competitive advantage of the ability to listen, learn about their client's business, and identify and implement technology solutions that will impact their bottom line now and for years to come. Chad brings a distinctive blend of attentive listening, curiosity, and strategic principles to the forefront of business innovation. His mission lies in the relentless pursuit of that elusive secret sauce that drives businesses to soaring heights of growth and prosperity. By the age of 21, Chad became part of a revolutionary retail concept in partnership with Purina, America's country store. His role there segued into a pivotal alliance with Nextel Communications, where the applications of his unique methodologies pushed him to become the top distributor in the Carolinas within just 18 months. Today's SeedSpark stands as his primary venture, fostering partnerships and providing services that embody the very principles of a successful entrepreneurial blueprint. He has started over 50 businesses, many of which he has successfully sold, and operates over a half a dozen of those businesses today and advises many others with the principles he has learned and implemented over the years. Chad Jenkins, welcome into the corner office. Brent, thanks so much for having me today. I'm excited to dive in. Great to have you here. Where, where does the pod find you today? Uh, it's Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm in nice. one of my offices here where the uh, weather's much better than it was in Toronto last week or Chicago <laughs> the week before. <laughs> Getting a little warm now in South Carolina. It's starting to warm up a bit or uh, still it, kind it, of the dead of winter? <clears throat> yeah, it was mid-20s last week when I was actually wow. up north in Toronto. But today, I think it's close to 60. So very nice. fortunate here. Nice. Love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the early years and where you grew up. I think you're originally from the Carolinas. Is that correct? <laughs> That is true. Uh, there's yeah. a, a very small town about 45 miles outside of Charlotte called Pageland, South Carolina. I joke that time moves backwards there. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> for a guy who felt like he probably should have been born in the middle of Manhattan, it was an interesting start, but uh, I wouldn't take anything for it. It is absolutely contributing to exactly what I am today. What did mom and dad do and any brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah. So one sister who is an absolute killer, uh, she runs an organization I, re I started and then she ended up buying it from me, a yeah. pro care financial group. And then my father, uh, he is still active in a construction company that I own. He and I started years and years ago and uh, he 
has been in construction his whole entire life. And somewhere around 2005, I had started many companies and I said, you know, you've had me hustling on the side since I was a kid. <laughs> Why don't you just do this for yourself? So he decided to do that and it was very good. And my mother has always figured out exactly and knows today where every penny has been and has gone. So <laughs> She's uh, the financial manager. She's the financial manager. Yes. Yeah, so a very, very awesome upbringing and can't say enough about the impact all of them had made on my life. Did mom get involved in any of your businesses, like your sibling and your dad? <clears throat> uh, no, she she would definitely, behind the scenes, keep a watchful eye on things mm. that from an, a finance function, let's say my internal team, specifically with my, my sister running that group in certain companies. Uh, I know she was behind the scenes giving words of wisdom, but not active in the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. What were some of the early influences or, or things that inspired you during those younger years? So, uh, younger years, <clears throat> I spent the lion's share of my childhood with my father. And you would assume as well with all the people that were my father's age. So I think you mentioned natural curiosity or curiosity relentless at the very beginning of the intro. It's a hundred percent true. As a young kid, I kept my mouth shut and my eyes and ears open. So mm -hmm. being around people that are 20 or 30 years, my senior, and when I say being around them, uh, no one specific, but all of them combined. And with that natural curiosity, just understanding what is pushing an, an agenda or an objective, creating a bigger outcome here. And then what is someone's behavior that's actually keeping a larger or larger outcome or a better life for them here? So I was able to just absorb all of that. Uh, I would trade nothing for that time that I spent with my father and being around people that were much, much my senior. Uh, Did you go to him in, in his workplace or, or was it mostly on weekends and evenings? Yes, yeah, so definitely workplace every available minute. So on a Saturday, at least where I grew up, uh, it wasn't filled with cartoons. It was filled with an excellent breakfast and then straight to the field, potentially with a little valuable time with a manual post hole digger or many rounds and rounds, uh, bush hogging pastures, putting up barbed fence, things of that nature as well. I mentioned construction There'd be time from time to time he was either building a deck for someone, replacing a roof, uh, doing a rehabilitation on a home before Christmas so the folks could move back in from a fire. I remember all these things very distinctively. And uh, I, I figured out real quickly that farm, farm life and also construction work. Yes, I do own a construction company, but it's a little different owning it than it is uh, putting up the actual two by fours and pouring the concrete. Uh, that wasn't exactly the way that I wanted to make money but it, it ingrained in me skills and also capabilities that I always had the opportunity to fall back on, which one thing about being an entrepreneur, and I think Dan Sullivan says it best, confidence is your superpower. Because mm -hmm. in, in entrepreneur's life, of course, risk is a requirement. Uh, and I, there's a funny saying, at least here in the South, and some of your Northern listeners or other parts of the world might, joke, might laugh, no risk it, no biscuit. <laughs> I, I, I don't in, don't even remember where I heard that, but it definitely always stuck with me. But the, the confidence piece that all of those capabilities that I learned at such an early age, knowing that if I had to go back to zero, it wouldn't be a travel all the way back to zero. I could go and actually use my hands and create value and therefore make money. So it, it definitely helps with confidence and even the risk that I take today. Sounds like a very high focus on skill development, even in early age. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. What about school? Were you a good student there? Uh, school, you know, it's, 
high, mid-range Bs as an average. Mm-hmm. Uh, school was interesting. I absolutely gravitated to the learning. But what I feel now and just being a little bit older and, and a lifelong student, I, I joke that I'm, I, did, I did go to a formal college, but only for about three months. I was growing a business very rapidly, and I, I felt like I had to make a decision. At that time, I was burning candles at, at both ends. But at grade school specifically, it seemed that I picked up on the concepts pretty quickly, validated the theory, uh, and made it practically applicable. What I mean when I say that is I made it where I could take the theory and create value from the learning. And now I'm ready to move on. Move on that yeah, was not yeah. the convention because you had to, to kind of get in line and, <laughs> and stand in line with the rest of the team. And, and so it, it began to be extremely boring. Uh, yeah. th- so to rather, to further compliment that time that I was able to spend with adults, you might as well say, I picked up more of my learning outside of school equal to or more than actually in school. Well, we know a lot of that was entrepreneurial things, and I want to get to that in a minute. But were you involved in sports or music theater? Were there things at school that, that captured your interest and kept it for a while? Yeah, so very customary to, I guess, what every young boy does. I played just a little bit of football, but that really wasn't for me. I'm not really a conventional type of guy. I'm definitely not a me too person. So my upbringing, I was around horses since before the time I could walk. And I, I leveraged that in some earlier businesses that we may get to. But one sport, rodeo specifically, and inside of rodeo, there's a team roping is a sport. I previously did that, started at about the time I moved to college, or to high school. I remember uh, I would get home in the evening and I would not be able to go to bed until I roped this particular dummy from all different angles, from all different links. Because mm-hmm. in, in team roping, one person nods his head and the two horses and a cow start running the gentleman on what's called the head horse ropes the steer's head around the horns and then the person that is the heel horse has to rope the feet and stop the entire show to which the head horse turns around and faces the heel horse so that is what i started doing Uh, what age were you when you you began uh, i would say around 14 is when i decided to be 100 percent committed to it and very customary to the way I approach things when, when I decide, and I use decide specifically because you, you literally kill off other things, any other options whenever you actually make a decision. So I decided to focus on that. And I mentioned a hundred times before I could go to bed every day. Well, after <laughs> that time, and I think it was 10,000 hours, you master something. That's I didn't right. know that at the yeah. time, yeah. but I'll tell you, roping the dummy hundred times every night for too long, it becomes muscle memory. So I spent my time doing that. I ended up going all around the country, uh, one high school, four years in a row, national ch- or champion, and a couple times nationally. So awesome. Uh, now, was that of- uh, were there prizes involved with that, or was that just for, for pure fun? Uh, no, sir. I was making my own money back then as well because they had ropings, which is not a rodeo itself with all the different types of events, but it's a very focused single event. And there you could win trucks, trailers, mm-hmm. saddles, cash, uh, so sometimes I would go to four or five different events like that on a weekend all over awesome. the Southeast and even all the way out to the West. Tons of fun. Well, I, yeah. I know you've been a serial entrepreneur and, and I want to talk about several of those things as we go through your background, but what was that first entrepreneurial thing you did as a kid? Do you remember mm-hmm. way back when? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I'm definitely wired up and I, and, and I'll contribute this to being on that farm. 
somewhere around the age of eight years old, I figured out within a rough order of magnitude what my father's compensation was annually. <laughs> and normal fashion. You're at the age of eight now, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. In <laughs> normal fashion, I do reverse math and forward math. I'll call it very simple math super quickly. And I remember doing reverse math on that number and I added a zero to it because I got down by the second, which was not a, a very scary number until you had a zero to it. Uh, and it became scary again really quickly. But uh, the realization came to me at that moment said, you know what? I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to make the same. And I just my wiring, I have aspirations for much, much more. I got to figure this out now. What can I do? And later on in life, I've been exposed to a quote by a gentleman named Thomas Widener, who was actually a squire for Theodore Roosevelt or Teddy Roosevelt. And he, he sums it up the best that, that I've seen. Uh, and I use it with entrepreneurs all over the world now. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Hmm. So at that age of eight, uh, at that time I was going to horse sales with my father because we traded horses at a young age, which also gave me business skills, understanding value and perceptive value. And then a correlation of skills applied to this variable, which was an animal and kind of making all that work and coming up with a number. So that those are also skills. But, um, one thing I noticed pretty quickly, and, and to be honest, I'm a huge collaboration guy. I've studied the art of collaboration and I began to create different stages and understanding and methodologies to leverage it. So I feel like it's a lost art in today's business world. <clears throat> but there are some very successful collaborations that everyone can point to, especially if we get to those on the call. But early on at that age of eight, and under the concept to do what you can with what you have where you are, I began to look at the resources I had at my immediate fingertips. What did I have domain over? And going to those horse cells, it took not very long to understand the collaboration between the person who wanted to sell a horse and the person in the stands who wanted to buy a horse with the capabilities that I possessed from my upbringing of being able to ride just about any type of horse and make it look like, furthermore, anybody could ride that horse, which is not 100% true. Yeah, but, you were eight. <laughs> yes, sir. But uh, understanding that pretty quickly, me plus somebody who wanted to sell their horse equals more value sure. perceived in the sale arena. And to that extent, I could make 10 to $20 to ride your horse through the sale barn. That's now, if great. I'd have really been on top of my game, I would have established what the perceptive value of the horse was and I'd have participated <laughs> on the upside, which is way more of what I do now. Uh, right. Yeah, But right. that's where it really began. That's great. That's yeah, great. So and how long did you do that for? Oh, I, I did that probably into my early teens. So I really got wow. very active in rodeo events and going all around the country. But there's a, a mental stint there where I expanded the acknowledgement of those skills. And I began to train people's horses. So the resources that I had at my fingertips were my capabilities. We had a barn. I had plenty of trails. And I knew a bunch of people, if you consider reach, I knew a ton of people who owned horses, right. who had real jobs, and they didn't have time to ride their horses to create the outcome of a well-trained horse. Well, I just offered my skills, there and I was go. able to make cash there as well. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So you said you gave college a try. Um, were you bored? What, what led you to say, not for me? Yeah, what a great question. Uh, so along, along the years of high school, when I... 15, thank you, South Carolina, you can drive. So the day I turned 15, even though I'd been driving, I lived on a farm way before that, I obtained my license. Uh, combining those resources, I had a tractor, a bush hog, 
and a trailer and I owned a truck. So I could combine that and create a landscape company. Mm. Uh, so I did that through high school, hiring people that also went to my school. They didn't look quite as entrepreneurial, but they had skills and they knew how to drive a tractor. So I continued that. Uh, graduating high school, went to South Carolina State. Uh, right out of high school, I got a call. I was at the National Team Roping Finals in Guthrie, Oklahoma, at a place called the Lazy E. And I remember my father calling and saying, hey, this gentleman that you sold a pony to for his daughter has tried to open a store over right outside of Charlotte that sells horse feed and other types of feed and also Western clothes. He doesn't know exactly what he's doing and he'd like to sell it. Would you have interest in buying it? And I, of course, thought that was an interesting concept, me being in Oklahoma. But when I returned back to Charlotte, I did go take a look at it. We ended up buying it. And immediately I began to add all the different products that you would think should be complementary to some place that sells feed. It's very easy for the listeners that are familiar with this concept today. I basically at that time was building a tractor supply concept before it was an actual thing. Um, mm. At the same time, starting college. Uh, college was a little bit boring. Certainly in that very first year, you got to get all these fundamentals out of the way. And, and I had done a, a, a do learn a lot on my own. I'm very determined to constantly be learning new stuff. So it, it was kind of boring. Uh, I was experiencing a lot of success with the, that horse feed tax store that was similar to a tractor supply. I had started getting into the trailer business. I'd created the subordinate businesses that were complementary but separate. Uh, at had a shavings dump trailer that I would go home at night, fill it full of shavings, and on the way into work the next day, I would dump it at farms along the way. And of course, mm. that paid for more than my gas money. So it, it, the entrepreneurial spirit was definitely catching fire then. I just seeing value creation just about in any capacity with it driven by that natural curiosity to say, how much better could this be if, and then coming up with the if, and then oftentimes sharing that, but college really felt at that time I had to make a decision. Do I really focus on this, this enterprise that's growing and make a commitment here, which is of course a lot of faith, or do I do the convention and go to college and sit through these classes just to get the basics out of the way? And hopefully this major that I select is actually complementary to what I'm really going to be in life. And I did make the decision to focus on something that was already creating cash that was quite profitable and had a lot of runway in front of it. Uh, it also, it definitely quenched the thirst that I have and had at that time for identifying value creation opportunities they are complementary to that core business and continue just stacking them on to the extent not long after making the decision not to continue at college Purina Mills which is a very large feed supplier and manufacturer in the country of North America I should probably say came to us and said hey we have this new concept it's called America's Country Store and it basically has a Lowe's or Home, Home Depot small quadrant uh, a feed and tax store. You have the trailers already. You're already, the, I was, I became the largest paneling gate distributor in Southeast, uh, which is, it's, it was a big deal at that time. And we had already basically created what they concepted of America's country store. It just was not in a brand new, very high rent retail looking 20,000 square foot facility. So we embarked upon it and opened the first America's country store. 
a long, long time ago. And that, that helps seal the deal on the college piece. Uh, looking back, <laughs> I'm not really sure. At that time, I figured, yes, I'm going to be making more than my contemporaries, but are they going to lap me or catch up because of the knowledge right. that they're gaining through the college years? So right. I made it, I was very determined at that time just to, to put myself through college just in an unconventional manner. And I, I still do that today. Yeah. Awesome. As I went through your background, I, I literally lost count of the number of businesses that you've started and sold. Yes, sir. And it seems as if that's been kind of an ongoing, um, you know, process for you up until the time, obviously of, of establishing uh, SeedSpark. And we want to talk a little yeah. bit about that in a minute, but is that been kind of your forte, you know, being able to figure something out just like this business, getting it to where you basically say, you know what, time to cash out, move on to the next idea. Tell us a little bit about kind of the thinking of that. Cause I honestly, I think it was six or seven. How, how many, do you know how many businesses you've started and sold before uh, you got into SeedSpark? Uh, well, the current count is somewhere just North of 50. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's and, wild. Yeah, That's so absolutely the, wild. Really. And if you were to ask me, I'm in the same business as I was when I was eight years old and, yeah. and that will yeah. kind of get to that or begin to unpack it. I have two methodologies that will, will probably frame up nicely to, to answer the question. One of them is called remove the film. So remove the film really to me stands for friction identification and then leverage the market. So along the way, just looking backwards, I can see that exact methodology being applied over and over and over. And, and to the degree, I still do it today. I just do it for other people. But way back when, when I would identify friction, and friction is so easy to identify, by the way, uh, tomorrow or today, when you walk into your business, just keep your ears open. You'll hear the friction. It's complaints. That's mm -hmm. the way they deliver it or the mechanism which they deliver it to you. So when I run into those or I'm, in, I'm serving someone in an existing business, and I mentioned that natural curiosity, yeah. well, I'd be very intently looking for the friction in their business because I'm a guy who is there's not a better way. There's always a way better way. Mm. And I'm always in search of that. So when I identify those frictions, I began to ask a couple questions. If I resolve this friction, am I just going to help that business or am I going to help businesses like that business in this local market? Or if I resolve this friction, is it going to help every business that's like this business mm. in North America or this state and so when I would ask those questions and it came naturally to me, if I began to get a yes and then another yes, and then another yes, I would try my very best to empower whoever I was serving with the idea, but perhaps they didn't take action because they were blinded by the conventions of their industry, both the mm. margins and the outcomes and the staffing and the packaging. Maybe it's a project based company. And I, I would beg to, to differ that it could be a recurring service and they just didn't, couldn't see it. Well, pretty determined, I would typically go start a business. Uh, some of those have been very wildly successful and I'm so fortunate, uh, but, but really and truly that methodology that I just shared is so empowering just about to anyone because there's so much low hanging fruit in today's conventional businesses that I really feel like, and my experience would kind of be a testament to it. There's a lot of opportunity that is going uncaptured because we're so blinded by the conventions of today. And so your seed spark, and this is a good kind of a transition in about 20 years, right? That you've done that, but you've yes, actually yes. continued to start businesses and run them during that period of time. Is that correct? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. I've got yeah. a, uh, two, 
a rebranded four organizations coming into this year and started two new organizations on January 1st. Yeah. Yeah. So just find the friction, validate and leverage the market and sort of let the who's take care of the rest. (laughs) And, and are you typically then finding good people that will run those businesses? Or are they typically people that, you know, have, have, have hit a wall and you come in there and help them find, as you said, that friction and, and, and resolve it. Yeah. So the, the answer would be yes. All yes to both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you have as, as wide of a horizontal as, as my landscape is, you, you get an opportunity to do about everything you said. And I'll, I'll put that into a little bit of context and it kind of dovetail into exactly what SeedSpark is today. Uh, so in instances, uh, all of my operating companies about two, two and a half years ago, I was doing a lot of research in my brain of what is this retirement thing? I'm guaranteed I'm not really built for the conventional sense of that. But when people were to retire, what are they looking for? What do they try to get to the end? What are they getting? What's this milestone? And Dan Sullivan, I think, frames up the best of anybody. Freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of purpose, and freedom of relationship. So I said to myself, if, if that's true, why don't I just decide to start living that way today? And I'll, and I'll be real transparent, Mr. Brent, up until that time, I was the guy who was a hamster on the wheel in my day-to-day operating companies, to which is it is skill set that I do possess, but I hadn't taken that next step yet, and I'd required myself to do so, which what the outcome of that was, I began to empower the teams that I had who were in leadership positions, but I was actually holding them back. Hmm all the frustrations and one could argue the complaints that I was telling myself, I was actually the the root cause of that. So I began to get out of my own darn way mm-hmm. and I uplifted quite a few of the leadership teams. I've effectively got myself out of the day to day. And that kind of moves into answering one of your questions and, and complements exactly what SeedSpark does. So I did a ton of work as well at that time to figure out exactly what is my strongest skill set? What is my unique ability, which is a, a strategic coach coined term? And I spent a lot of time and effort and energy finding that. I'm very aware of that now, though the modern day college and the pursuit of continued education, I'm not finished. I continue to try my very best to better frame that up so I can share it with others, but I'll, I'll give you insight to it. And there's two words and it's two words combined. It's growth innovation. So when I look back, yeah, driven by that, remove the film, friction identification, leverage the market. And then as well, seeing commonality in each one of the organizations that I started, those that I've helped, where was the value proposition applied that continued to create a very similar outcome? And it was growth innovation. So I mentioned earlier that I, I personally feel like I've been in the same business since I started. I would strongly argue that I've been in the growth innovation business since I began. Now it has taken a wild and different industry path and different verticals all along the way, which has manifested in over 50 different operating companies. But I've evolved to the place now where I am changing that and offering that as a service to others where I only do collaborations and mentioned how, how interested and intrigued I am by the art of collaboration and what I feel like it is the secret sauce for small to medium sized businesses to experience exponential growth because they don't have a war chest of cash in their back pocket. Some of them do, I guess, but many of them do not. 
and but they're negating leveraging this one very powerful concept that could begin to grow them exponentially and far outpace any of their competitors. So Seed Spark, which the name actually came from originally, Seed the idea, Spark the growth. Hmm. Now, under SeedSpark's umbrella originally was a software development company way back when that was very large in the wireless industry. And I'd, I'd not been forced, but I had realized that I could write down the business logic and go hire some data, a database guy and a front-end guy and build applications to help me scale up that wireless business. At the same time, BlackBerry was coming to market, and I figured out I could use those same software guys to alleviate the frictions in the service companies that was managing their wireless bills and supplying them with Nextel telephones. Now I could supply them with Blackberries and operate work order systems across the mobile browser. Um, so SeedSpark originally started out as an app company two years mm. before the iPhone was even launched. We were building applications for Maersk, the big shipping lines, and many other very large HVAC companies and construction companies for time and attendance. <clears throat> Then it evolved into managed services. So we manage today plus 400 different companies across North America's cybersecurity and IT. And then lastly, because it really goes together, digital marketing. Hmm. So for me, it's very logical. You fix the infrastructure and make sure they're safe and secure. You begin to fix all their business processes. It will be a scale problem when they begin to grow. And now that you have that foundation and you have scale, you're able to then pour the gas on the organization. That's a lot for today's small to medium sized businesses to, to engage in one single relationships. They know those as individual service providers. So SeedSpark has now evolved. Uh, it's doing the same thing that it was doing way back when its product mix is a little bit differently. I've spun out those other existing organizations to individual brands and SeedSpark itself, the, the only engagement that it offers today is one for growth innovation and it does it solely based upon future money a good friend of mine said today's money and and this is hard to um, to negate the understanding of it but today's money in all businesses is already spoken for <laughs> that's right future yeah. money is not so i'm going to apply that concept to small to medium-sized businesses and i'm going to complement it with collaboration so if you're in a small to medium-sized businesses you're on a hamster wheel it feels like that you just you keep working harder, but you're producing a similar or even less of an outcome. I may encourage you to consider future money and collaboration as two growth strategies to begin to get you off that hamster wheel and also to remove yourself from the competition. There's a there's a book that uh, Ben Hardy and Mr. Dan Sullivan wrote. It's called Who Not How. A very huge concept. I did not subscribe to that methodology and. The first many, many businesses, I thought I was supposed to get up earlier, work harder, be smarter, <laughs> and outpace the next guy. But the who, not how concept, anyone who is a listener today operating a business, it is my full expectation that they would be able to answer this question. If I just had fill in the blank, it would help me grow exponentially, whether it be a sales guy or an operations guy or potentially a COO or chief of staff, like something's really holding you back. And then perceptively, the thing that is holding you back is budget. You just don't have the cash to go hire the right guy. And I would argue you absolutely do because there's another fundamental concept. Wealthy people don't trade time for money. Right. So if you have a guy, the best who on the planet, 
who's going to remove that obstacle for you. You may consider collaboration on future money to properly compensate that person because if they are very confident in what they can do and the impact that they can apply to your organization or have to your organization, and they align with your vision of what the future could actually hold, you would likely have enough budget to compensate that particular person to cover his current operating expenses as a family and then participate in the upside of what both of you are trying to accomplish. Mm. So oftentimes I see that not being the case. I see we, we hire for the budget that we have and we hope optimistically that the person is going to be more than even they projected in the interview. And I've never had that happen or be true. So I I love what you've just said, uh, Chad, I have to say, because up till now, absolutely adore seed seed spark and what you're talking about and, Mm -hmm. you know, the friction and understanding the consumer and what needs to be done, but you hadn't really touched on leadership till now. And now I, I really see that insight that, Mm -hmm. you know, that who is extremely important. What, what do you think are some of those qualities that, you know, middle market types of companies, small, medium sized businesses should look for when they want, and they have that hole in that organization of the who. Mm-hmm. So big thinking is required. Mm. So if, if folks have limited vision and they, they could be, of course, extremely sound in operations. It, so I'm not negating those are super valuable because they absolutely are. I am known to the world as a simplifier. So I take very complex things and simplify them. It just looks like I'm a multi- multiplier. That's not true. I aggressively seek multipliers. So when I'm thinking about the who in a specific objective, I want to make sure that they can, and I mentioned earlier, align with the vision, the big vision, not just from here to the end of the quarter, not even from here to the end of the year, but I'm looking for that person that can see out on the horizon and then come back to exactly where they stand and strategically see the the steps that need to be put in place to today to ultimately reach that vision that's way out there on the horizon. Yeah. Uh, those guys are, as I mentioned, big thinkers. Uh, they a lot of times they come with big price tags, but if if we're talking about the big vision, it's going to happen in two or three or five years. Boy, there's a lot of future money to spread around. <laughs> and uh, love that. It, and I think we could all argue we've all hired the right guy before, and the second that you hire him, not long after that, you just want to get out of his way because okay. he doesn't need you. Uh, those are the guys that I look for today in existing businesses and all, and also existing relationships that I can plug in a guy who has the right skill set with the correct opportunity. Tell our listeners a little bit about company culture, you know, the importance of that. How does that kind of play into the model? And, um, you know, how, how critical is that for success longer term? <laughs> That's, uh, I appreciate this. What, what a wonderful question. Uh, I can sum it up and everyone grows all the time. So when, organ- when, in organizations that I own, in organizations that now I'm helping to grow all across the world, uh, I'm looking for folks that want to grow themselves personally as much as they want to grow professionally. So whenever you have a, a collection of people that have that fundamental, they're trying to be better themselves tomorrow than they were yesterday, and they know that every day is not going to be easy, but they're committed to being better, not change the world today or tomorrow, but just incrementally better Then I have seen organizations, individuals 
reach across the aisle and help each other in the most abstract, and I'll give you one, finance and sales, mm. where there's typically a lot of rub oh, or yeah. operations and sales. But whenever you have that, this fundamental growth of myself and then growth of my profession as, as its internal wiring, uh, the sky's the limit. So I love experience. I really, really do. I love uh, the accolades that people get along their way in their journey. I am very much want to understand what's inside that person, what's at their core. And if you see that, the rest is really easy to come up with. Mm -hmm. uh, if, they, if they're going to approach their work and also their life from that perspective, the sky's the limit for them and for your organization. Love it. Do you do a lot of interviewing yourself, you know, when you are either evaluating potential clients and or, you know, employees that are coming into one of your organizations? Yes, sir. So the best way to answer that is yes, all the time. Uh, do I interview for specific roles inside of my operating companies? Uh, no, sir, just because I'm not as in, involved in the day to day, right. more right. strategic in nature. But I, I would dare say six to 10 different businesses around the country. I'm engaged with on a daily basis, all different types and sizes and shapes. And I'm constantly interviewing and trying to understand. I, I can hear the words that they're saying. What's the, what's in the middle, what's between mm -hmm. the words or what's behind those words. So it, it takes a lot of studying to, to get that. There's so many different cues that you can pick up on. Uh, and th this would be one very strong suggestion. There's quite a few books that I found to be very beneficial. The like switch is it, it's an awesome book. And then of course, how to read people, uh, is one I'm going back through now, but I, I leverage those things to help the interviewing, not in the conventional sense, I'm about to hire a general operations manager, but in, in SeedSpark, what it does today is to help others grow. So I'm constantly interviewing those organizations that have been referred to us to help them grow, to make sure I understand what is behind the words and what's this internal wiring of the person and also the organization so that, we understand exactly where they are. We can meet them where they are and help them along their growth journey. You mentioned earlier that one of the you know biggest um, objectives when trying to fill that gap of the who is someone that can really think big and, and has that vision and can you know kind of figure out where to go and not just one year, a quarter, but five yes. years, ten years down the line and come back to that. So so when you interview people, is there a way or is there a, an area of, of, of questions that you find that are helpful to try to identify whether that person has that vision or not? What, you know, can you share with us maybe some of the things that you ask those people? Yes, sir. I was, I was exposed to a question that has been deemed the R factor question, and I, I use it religiously. So this particular question, uh, even before I was even part of a strategic coach, I had read a book. And, and the question goes exactly like this. Pretend you and I are in vision. It's been three years or five years. I prefer five. A lot of folks, it's a little hard for them to reach that far, so you start at three. And we're sitting here, we're actually on this podcast, and we're looking backwards. And this engagement that we're proposing to, to be together, it has been wildly successful. And we're looking backwards. For either one of us to say that, what would have to happen both professionally and personally for you to be able to say, this has been the best ride ever. Hmm. And then as, as I've been reading the book was told, just be quiet. What you'll notice is a lot of times people will look up into the left or sometimes look up into the right and they'll be quiet for a little bit. And th this is a very positive thing because what they're doing at the time inside their brain is they're envisioning sure enough, 
I've been in a relationship with you, Brampton, now for three or five years. It has been wildly successful. And for that to be a true statement, when I look back over that term period, this had to happen personally. This had to happen professionally. They're envisioning their children being five years older and that things that would happen over the next five years logically. But what it enables you to do, and some, sometimes people will talk for good gracious, it seems like an hour. You learn everything. Hmm. You learn what means something to them. You learn what means something around success to them, how they interpret success, the care and love that they have for other people along their journey and how they're going to be impacted by their success. It's one of the most powerful questions I've better ever been introduced to. And I can tell you, I, I used it even this morning with a group in Delhi over in India. Hmm. Uh, needless to say, they, they hadn't heard a question like that before, but the information that comes beyond that question really gives you insight to the person and what they deem is true success which oftentimes is a little bit off from what I deem success is in that relationship. But the information I'm able to gather helps me to shape the outcome, even along the way for them, which empowers them to be the best that they possibly can be. And we both reach that outcome together. It's happened so many times in the past. So what a, what a great question. Love it. Love it. Well, Chad, we're just about out of time, but we always have one last question. We ask all our CEO guests and that's, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone who, you know, has their eyes on starting their own company, maybe wants to be an entrepreneur like you someday? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the first and foremost thing is stay curious, always relentlessly, constantly ask your questions. Why, what could be, what if, and what comes out of that is of course, a lot of time inside of your, your brain or your head, but the value creation that comes from that is, is absolutely exponential. Uh, so that, that fundamentally is most important. And then as you come up with those value creation opportunities, I would strongly encourage you to consider growth through collaboration, find the absolute best who on the planet to help you reach the objective that you seek or create the value that you already interpret can be delivered. And then if you're hamstrung by budget, you would consider future money. Let people participate. Uh, if they align with that vision and they can get on the bandwagon as well, it's going to reduce your management burden so much. Whatever it feels like, you're going to pay above market if you reach the success. And again, I did say future money, right? Today you have zero. Hmm. In the future, you're going to have this money. If I said, I'm going to show back up in 12 months and give you a million dollars, how much is it okay? Would you be, well, how much would you be okay with me keeping? Uh, that in itself is, is so impactful of a strategy in my growth and all these organizations that I've leveraged that uh, it, it's hard to quantify, to be exact, to be honest with you. So hopefully that helps all of the listeners with a couple core components that they could actually go and put into place today. SeedSpark was launched to provide a business-centric approach to technology. Their competitive advantage is the ability to listen, learn about your business, and identify and implement technology solutions that will impact the company's bottom line now and for years to come. President CEO Chad Jenkins, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brandon, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. 
For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the Mighty Middle Market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.